We turn in God's Word this evening to the Gospel of Mark, the fifth chapter, Mark chapter 5, as we continue our series of going through Mark's Gospel. Last time we were here, a couple of Sunday evenings ago, we were dealing with the calming of the storm. It's interesting then how this passage begins, and I'll mention that at the beginning of our message as well, but it is kind of interesting having just experienced this fierce storm and all the trauma that went along with it and all the anxiety, and then Christ simply says, peace be still, the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Chapter 5, verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again ask for God's blessing as we bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this portion of your word that you have written to us and that we try to understand. We ask that you will be with Pastor Bob as he preaches on this word, guide him and 
that everything may come to his lips properly. This we ask in your name alone. Amen. Amen. It's a long account, so by nature that means that the outline is going to be long as well. So make sure you note there is some on the back side of that this evening as well. We'll look at this in, in five separate headings. First of all, just a, a few words about the area. Where are we going? Where are we heading? What, what's going on here? The first thing to note is, as I mentioned before I read, the fact of what they do. They're on the other side. When I first read that, it, it kind of struck me because they didn't turn back. And I often wonder if we were in that circumstance where we had come up against this big storm and then suddenly it grows quiet, how many of us might have said, I think we probably better go home. Let's just turn the boat around. We escaped the storm. Let's get back to home. But instead, they went to the other side. They don't turn around. The fear that the storm brought is subsided being in the presence of Christ now. And so they continue on the journey. And where do they go? Well, they go to the country of the Gerizines. There is a particular destination in mind. See, that's, that's sometimes what we have to step back from, from these passages, and realize that Jesus has a place determined where this boat is to go. He has not only a place determined, he has in mind this person already. It isn't that they get to the other side and all of a sudden Jesus is like, oh my a wild, crazy man coming out of the tombs. What am I going to do? How do I deal with this? No, it is for this man. It is particularly for this man that the boat continued on to the other side. This was not only the providence of God, this was the determination of Jesus. There is a man amongst the tombs that I am going to meet. That's not a prediction. That's the reality. That's the whole point of why they got in the boat in the first place. That's why Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side. And along the way, there is training that is done. Training of their own faith. So now they have met the storm on the sea. Now they meet the storm on the seashore. There is a people that Jesus needs to minister to. The third thing to note about this area is the fact that it is known as the area of the Gerizines, or in some of your versions, perhaps, Gadarenes. What do we know about this place? 
Well, we know that the particular area where they have landed is an area of caves that are being used for tombs. The passage tells us that. There is no city at this particular location. The city of Gadara is located several miles actually from the seashore that is being spoken of here. But the area gets its name from the city. The city that spreads out into the countryside. It is the major city of this particular area. One might think of it as the leading city or perhaps as we might think of it as a county seat type area. And so the whole district becomes known as the area of the Gadarenes or the Gerizines. We also know in terms of the geography of this place that there is a very steep hill that goes on a rapid decline to the water. And I am told, although I've never seen it personally, I am told you can still visit this pretty much basic area on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and whether it's the exact location or not, you at least get a sense of the feel, you get a sense of the steep hill, you get a sense of the caves and so on that are in this area. It is a desolate area, in a sense, because it's a place of the tombs. So that, first of all, just the area that we are now encountering. Secondly, we now encounter the man. And what a description we are given of this man. If you have your scriptures open again, just, just look at what his life is like. He lives among the tombs. Right? Now, not a cemetery where people are buried underground, where there is earth above their bodies and their bones, but caves. Basically, where people are just brought into and left. Not everyone, as in the Garden of Gethsemane, gets a stone in front of the tomb. Most of the time, these things were just left open. So one can imagine, not, not, not only just the eeriness of that place, but the smell of the place, the stench, the rodents, the varmints. The wild animals and beasts that must have inhabited this place. And yet, this is where he must live. There amongst the tombs. Notice his strength. But it's not a strength in terms of something that, that one is, wow, look at him, isn't that an amazing thing of what he can do? It's more a strength that scares it's a strength that would have you run away from this man. He's able to, to break chains that bind him and shackles. He simply breaks into pieces. That which hold ordinary men are nothing to this particular man. Nothing. But not only that, day and night, it's as if there is no sleep for this man. It is as if there is, there is no time in which he actually gets a time of rest, a time of peace, a break. Day and night among the tombs, 
and on the mountains. He's crying out, cutting himself with stones. The idea, you see, is the idea that, that carried with it in that era of the fact that all of this had something to do with the blood and if you cut open a person then the blood would come out and perhaps the, the evil spirit would come out with the blood. Uh, there's, there were techniques like that for hundreds of years and even not that long ago in modern day history that was still somewhat the thought of, oh, if you're sick we'll drain off some blood from you, we'll take some blood away. And, and from there, you know, we'll, we'll see how you do and maybe you'll get better. I'm glad we're not under that treatment program so much anymore for everything that comes up. But that's what he's doing. He's trying to relieve himself of that which he knows is taking place within him. It would seem that there must be within this man fleeting moments of sanity. Because he seems to be content to stay where he is. It doesn't seem like he's making invasions into the city. But he's content remaining amongst the tombs. Almost as if he has a realization. This is where I must be. This is best. This is where I should be. And yet, all the time, dealing with this demon. With this possession that has come upon him. Notice his statement as well. Verse 8. Or excuse me, verse 7. As he comes rushing towards Jesus. What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. What an amazing statement. First of all, of acknowledgement of who Jesus is, we can't get this out of hardly anybody back there in Judea and Galilee, much less in Nazareth or Capernaum. But here in the Gadarenes, some demon-possessed man, some demon speaking through the man, acknowledges who Jesus is, but then seeks to control seeks to, as it were, put his stamp of authority on Jesus. As if in some way he's going to try to now bind Jesus. Don't torment me. Because you see, what we are told is all along, Jesus has been saying, come out of the man. Come out of the man. And the way it's recorded for us here, one gets the feeling that this was not something Jesus was necessarily saying vocally. This was not something that Jesus was necessarily speaking out, proclaiming boldly. But as the boat hits the shore, as the man begins his trek, Jesus is saying, come out of that man. Come out of that man. Come out of the man. And then Jesus asked a most unusual question. What's your name? See, this, this episode is, is, is so unique 
It's, it's so interesting. Because in other demon situations, Jesus casts the demon out. And that's it. Here, Jesus does not move the demon out right away. There's something else going on. There is more lesson that needs to be taught through this man. There is some greater thing that needs to happen other than just this demon leaving the man. And one of the things is to let everyone know, particularly his disciples who are there, who this man is. What is your name? My name is Legion. I'm sure you've heard enough, story, enough messages upon this that you know that that term was used within the Roman army. It designates a, a group of some 6,000 soldiers. But I, I, I think we, we, we have to be careful not to make too much of that, not to in some way think that, well, he had 6,000 demons in him. Because in a few verses, we're going to come to the pigs, and it's a herd of 2,000. So is it 2,000, or does every pig have three demons in them? And all of a sudden, we're just getting this all convoluted. I think it's best to simply go with the man's answer. The man's answer is simply this. My name is Legion, for we are many. He doesn't say, my name is Legion, for I have 6,000 demons. He simply states, look, they call me Legion. That's the name that has been given to me because I am possessed by so many demons. And as we're on that particular subject, one commentator cautions us here to be careful not to form some sort of doctrine of demons based upon one episode in the life of Jesus. Like somehow or another we can take this and we can uh, draw lines here and there and this tells us what demons are all about, this tells us what demons are all about because the point of this message, the point of the miracle, the point of the passage is not the demons. They are secondary to the account. So let us not make more than what is there. So we'll be content with simply looking at this poor, Man, a man who is possessed by many demons that manifest themselves in very unusual ways, making it impossible for him to dwell and to live amongst people, at least the living. The third thing to note, then, is the healing. Of that which takes place. And then there's three words I, I want you to record under the healing. First of all, the fact of the submission. Notice how these demons now respond. They beg. They beg Jesus. Verse 10. Not to send them out of the country. See, in the verses before, there was an attempt to control. But now these demons recognize 
and understand that Jesus is not about to submit to their requests. That these demons must submit to Christ. They understand His power. They realize they cannot go anywhere without Jesus allowing it. So back up the cart. You mean to say, Pastor Bob, that Jesus gave them the, pop, the authority or gave them permission to enter this man? Yes. He did. Just like the Lord gave Satan the power to inflict sores upon Job. Just like the Lord gave permission for Satan to take away Job's possessions. It's like the Lord gave permission to Satan to take away Job's children. It's a hard concept for us to understand. But if we confess the sovereignty of God, then even over this man's demon possession, God is sovereign. That's why Jesus knew where they were going. Because he knew the man who had the demons had been given permission to enter. Now it is time to deal with that. Now it is time even as Job rises out of the dust and ashes and declares, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in my flesh I shall see God. So too it is now time for these demons to be put into their place. And they are now submissive. Even as Satan always must be, even as demons always must be submissive. They may only go far as that which God permits. You say, why would God permit that? For His glory? Why would God permit that? In my life, in your life, to conform us to the glorious image of His Son. That's why He allows it. That's why He permits it. Because it is through those trials, it is through those difficulties, that our faith is purified, and our hope is assured. They submit. Secondly, the permission that Jesus grants. Notice they need to ask. We'd like to go to those herd of pigs. They can't just go. They can't go on their own. They can't just leave the man and then go to the pigs. They have to ask Jesus' permission. And that permission is then granted. He allows them to enter these pigs. Why? Why does Jesus allow that? 
One could be Jesus knows what the end is. The, the, the demons don't. The demons don't know what's going to happen when they enter the pigs. Demons are of limited knowledge. Jesus could have just cast them out, out of existence. He could have done that. They say, let us go to the pigs. Okay, go to the pigs. What's going to happen? They're going to go out of existence. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows what is going to take place. And so he grants them their permission. Go into the pigs. Secondly, there may be another reason involved here. We know that the area that we are dealing with here, this area of the Gadarenes, is one of those areas that, as I mentioned this morning, is one of those areas that is over the Jordan. It's one of those areas that is considered Galilee of the nations. This is one of those areas of mixed race. The Jews are intermingled amongst these people. Is it possible that these Jews outside of the bounds of Judea found a good way to earn a living? We can sell pigs to Gentiles. Maybe they've compromised their faith. Maybe there is a reminder here of the law of God. That pigs were not to be considered a clean animal. They were unclean and they were to have nothing to do with them. And so out of a sense of judgment against those who have brought these animals into this area, he destroys the animals. Or perhaps the real reason is to demonstrate what will be coming in a few minutes. Is the fact that these people so valued their unclean animals, their pigs. That they thought nothing of this man's life and of his redemption and of his healing. There are misplaced priorities in the Gerizines. You want to go into the pigs? You may go into the pigs. Jesus knowing they're going to be destroyed. Jesus knowing that the pigs should not have been there in the first place. Jesus knowing that this material possession was considered more valuable than a man's life. And so what do we read? We read of a remission. So here were your three words, right? Submission, permission, and now remission. He's healed. He's healed. What do we read after these pigs hurl themselves down into the sea? Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, 
sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. The healing was not partial. The healing was not incomplete. Every single one of those demons has had to submit to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's clothed. He's calm. He's content. He is acting decent. He is controlled. He is at ease. What a picture of deliverance. What a picture of what it means for Christ to take hold of one's life. That we see peace and contentment we see calm. We see one in one's right mind. This is what Christ does. See, we often speak of the fact that, that Christ, by his blood, has justified us. Yes, he has. Do not think, my friends, that, that Christ's deliverance of us only falls in a spiritual scale of some sort. And that Christ does not deliver us from the other bondages that sin has in our lives. Fourthly, note the reaction. This is kind of interesting, isn't it? It's what I alluded to a few moments ago. They certainly have the wrong perspective. Their concern is all about the pigs. It's the loss of their income. It's the loss of wealth. It's the loss of whatever this means for the community. That is the wrong perspective. To put material things over and above the souls of individuals. And we may look at this and we say, well, how foolish of these people. They should have been very glad for this man's deliverance. They don't have to listen to him howling at night anymore. They don't have to be afraid for their children anymore that this man may get loose and cause some harm and damage. They don't have to worry about running into this guy somewhere on a, on a moonlit walk somewhere. That this savage beast of a man is going to somehow pounce upon them and wreak havoc in their lives. Now you see they're more concerned about the pigs. That unclean animal. That possession. How often is it not true of us? In terms of our time, in terms of our willingness to witness, 
well, you know, if I speak up, that may cost me. Might not get that job if I talk to that person about Christ. Might not get that work. Might not get that contract. We have been very faithful in our giving towards the cause of missions this year. Over $100,000 from this congregation. It's truly a blessing. The question is, were we still tight? Were we still valuing our stuff over other people's souls? They have a wrong perspective, but they also have a wrong direction. Notice what they say. Leave. Get out of here. We don't want you here, Jesus. You would think these people would be, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in. Deliver me from the bondage of my sin. Deliver me from the bondage of that which holds me captive. Deliver me. Lord, if you can deliver legion, you can deliver me. Lord, if you can heal him, you can heal me. But instead it's, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. Leave us. Leave us alone. How sad it is that there are so many in our world in our society, in our culture, in our community, perhaps even in our own families who respond this way to the deliverance of Christ. We start speaking of Christ and of that which Christ can do and of that which Christ has done. They want no part of it. Stop it. Don't want to get into any religion talk. What are the two things you're never supposed to talk about at family gatherings? Religion and politics. How strange. How strange. A whole society that is running away from Jesus. We don't want anything to do with you. We don't want shepherds out on the public square. We don't want wise men up on top of buildings. We don't want crosses displayed anywhere. We don't want anything to do with Jesus. That's our society. That's their society. That which interests them is their pocketbook more than the issue of deliverance. You know what I find interesting is verse 18. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Interesting, demons beg too, and now they're begging. But not for him to come, but for him to leave. And notice verse 18. 
as he was getting into the boat. He's leaving. Sometimes Christ does that, you know. Sometimes Christ gets in the boat and leaves. I referred to that this morning. Sometimes Paul did that. He offered the gospel to people. They refused. Brushes the dust from off his feet and says, fine. Then I'll go somewhere else. See, that's the problem with the theology of today that always says to everybody, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. No, sometimes he's gotten in the boat and left. Lastly, there is the witness. Notice this man's desire. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him. A lot of begging in this passage, isn't there? Kind of interesting how often that phrase keeps coming back. Now we've got the man begging Jesus, please go with, let me go with you. And how could we blame him? Okay, of course he wants to go with Jesus. He's got no future with these people. They think more of their pigs than of his deliverance. He's been ostracized his whole life. Why would they want anything to do with him? They're going to mistrust him. They're not going to accept him back into their community, are they? Jesus, let me go with you. You saved me. You restored my sanity. You delivered me from the demon. Let me come with you. So thankful, so grateful, so desirous to learn. Because that's where we saw him, right? Sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. Want to hear more? But notice Jesus' command go home. Jesus did not permit him. This whole passage is so interesting. Demons beg, let us go into the pigs, and Jesus permits them. Here's a man who wants to go with him out of love and out of devotion, and Jesus does not permit him. No, I I don't want you to go with me. No. In a sense, he's saying there's no room in the boat for you. That's not what you're called to. That's not your purpose. That's not my providence. That's not my will for your life. You go home. You go home to your friends. And you tell them what the Lord has done for you. And you tell them the mercy that the Lord has shown you. Now let me ask you a question. Was this man a missionary? Is Jesus giving a mission command? Absolutely. 
This is as much the mission command as Matthew chapter 28, go ye therefore into all the world. Sometimes the mission command comes to us and it's this, go home, go to your friends, tell them what the Lord has done for you. We all don't have to get on planes and sell our homes and go to Asia, go to the Middle East, go to Africa, go to South America, go to Central America. We all don't have to do that. Sometimes Jesus' command is this. Go home and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. And my guess is that seeing we're here That's the command in our lives. That's the responsibility that you and I have. I'm not called to go there. But I am called. I am called. You are called. You are called to get up out of that seat, to go into this world, and to tell people what the Lord has done for you. This is our responsibility. There it is. Another big goal for 2019. To go. To go. To tell people. And then I want you to note the obedience. Verse 20. See, what's interesting is Jesus has given other commands to people. And he has said, listen, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody, but go show yourself to the priest. Don't tell anybody, go do this. Don't tell anybody. And what do they do? They disobey and go and tell. Here's this man. This man who, as it were, only moments before this, is a crazed lunatic, possessed by countless evil spirits that have driven him to madness. A man who by the telling of it would appear to be probably a Gentile who is given a command by Jesus go home and tell. Going against that which his own heart desires. That which he wants. He wants to go with Jesus. But the command is go home. Ask yourself how might you have responded. Maybe salt your way home. Get this Jesus. Don't let me go with him. Got to go back home. I don't want to go back home. We might have sulked the whole way. We might have brooded. We might have complained. I don't know why Jesus delivered me anyway just to stick around this place. Think of all the things of how people, we, our own hearts, might have responded. But here is this man. And he went away. And he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. You know what the Decapolis? It's the region of ten cities. The guy went from place to place to place his homeland, to his people, to his countrymen. And he told them, he proclaimed 
how much Jesus had done for him. In a moment, we're going to sing that song again, my tribute. How can I say thanks? Here is the answer. Go home. Tell your friend. Tell your family. Tell your fellow workers how much the Lord has done for you. And will we read? And they went away and began to proclaim in Marne, in Coopersville, in Walker, in Grand Rapids, in Michigan, how much Jesus had done for them. Will we read, same old, same old? They went home and did nothing. Except thought about how wonderful Jesus is. Oh, there is a lesson here for us, is there not, brother and sister in Christ? A lesson when we know the deliverance, when we can sing upon our deathbed, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. Then we can testify to a world around us about what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. For Lord, you delivered this man from his demonic possession. But you've delivered us from the clutches of Satan himself. You've delivered us, rescued us, from sin, from hell. Oh, do we have a story of deliverance to tell to those around us. Father, may we be faithful in the command of your Son, go ye into all the world, and may we be faithful to his command, go home. And tell your friends, in Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.